Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Morality of Everyday Things. It's me, Anthony. And me, Jacob. Your two favorite hosts of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the only hosts of this podcast. Been a little break, but, you know, it's good to be back. Morality of Everyday Things is a podcast about everyday moral questions. Jake and I are longtime friends. Met at uni 10 years ago, almost. Mm. It's this October, the anniversary. It is. Um, what busy. are we going to do to celebrate? I think we agreed earlier that one of us is going to have to kill the other. This <laughs> <laughs> is the only fitting way to hit 10 years. <laughs> Run a couple of businesses, do some angel investing, all sorts of stuff. You need to store your bags, stash.com. You want to... Now we mostly focus on B2B integrations. If you want to plant some trees and stuff, if you run an e-commerce store, talk mm. to me. We run a Shopify. Anthony at Stasher, Anthony at Three Points, Jacob at Stasher, Jacob at Three Points. Cool. Um, on to today's show, we are looking at the question of euthanasia. I don't know that we actually have a formal question. We will have one by the time this is published. Well, I, I suppose the, the obvious question is, should euthanasia be permitted? Yeah. Is euthanasia wrong? Do people have a right to kill themselves? And I tell you, wait, what? I thought we were talking about young people in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> I make that joke every single time. Classic Ali G reference that. Exactly. The youth in Asia. So we're going to go through this. We'll address a few different topics. Similarly, as we've done in previous, like most recent episodes, we'll break it down into a few episodes. So this is part one you're listening to. We're going to assess euthanasia. What's the current state in the real world? Because actually it's a little bit messy. You've probably heard about Swiss euthanasia. Yeah, hustle. Dignitas is the most famous example, but you've got a lot of countries. We'll go into in more detail. Belgium, New Zealand, mm-hmm. uh, the Netherlands all have interesting laws different to what we have in the UK and, and different to what's available in the USA as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this episode will focus on euthanasia in the real world. We'll then go on to look at effectively the main argument, the pros and cons, you know, why euthanasia is the state that it is, what the reasons would be for legalizing it, how that could look. Mm. And then the third episode, we'll take a step back and look at philosophical perspectives, which is the more yeah. classic approach in terms of our podcast. Yes. Maybe should we swap three and two? It's written in a very linear way. Do you know what? It's not written in any way. We could we could swap that order when we okay. publish it. We'll probably do the philosophical approaches first and then talk about the pros and cons because in mm. that context, we can draw on the philosophical approaches we discussed. Cool. So we can Let's, record that bit if you want then. You know what? We'll give you guys the real deal. Um, <laughs> so first episode, part one, euthanasia in the real world. So we're going to start out by giving you guys some context, obviously defining the terms and looking at what is currently legislated and the implications of that. Now, we always make a point of starting with definitions. This is an important one because the entire series is about euthanasia and very high level definition. Euthanasia is the termination of a sick person's life in order to relieve them of their suffering. Interesting, huh? Mm. I, I, there, I are think... some, there are some key points in there that make it slightly different to just generally yeah. like dying. We'll pick on that. Just to clarify one key distinction, obviously we've given one term or definition of terms with another definition that probably has some terms that should be defined or, mm. or clarified. We'll come to that. One difference to draw is to assisted suicide, mm-hmm. uh, which is suicide that is assisted by another person, clearly, which for what we are interested in discussing, is also aimed at relieving someone of their suffering. Mm. The difference that you've highlighted is really that for assisted suicide, a doctor can provide you with the lethal medication, for example, but you actually have to take it. Whereas in the case of euthanasia, the person whose life is being terminated, like they don't have to do anything. Yes, there's a difference of agency there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, euthanasia is done to you, whereas assisted suicide is done with your cooperation. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or actually, you're doing it and someone's just helping you. Euthanasia is like putting a dog down Assisted suicide is someone asking you to help them. Mm-hmm. There's another distinction that's worth making, and that's between active and passive euthanasia. What does that mean? Mm. Active euthanasia is, as we've discussed above, so you take active steps. Passive euthanasia is like withholding treatment. It's the right to refuse treatment, which is presumably life-saving, or say the withdrawal of life, like a life support machine. Ah, um, you know what? Interesting. Actually, before discussing these definitions, I didn't realize that, for example, turning off a life machine 
counts was a kind of euthanasia because that that yeah. does sort of happen right i mean you get cases even even nowadays like let's say someone's really old and dying and there's <laughs> like <it>. 40 <laughs> <laughs> so it's a joke because we're young really sorry to our old listeners <laughs> yeah we're just alienating <laughs> potentially large part of our user base <laughs> however in the example i was going to give if you're old and dying it can be that you could be given treatment but actually the treatment it has a low chance of success because of the state of your illness mm. um withholding that treatment or like giving you something that would like potentially speed up your what am i trying to say you can give people painkillers that actually potentially accelerate their death yeah but, but make, it make it more them more comfortable pleasant. yeah and and that's a that's a blurred yeah, yeah. sort of form of passive oh, yeah. i mean it's the classic kind of for example well i'm turning off life support is the most explicit that we just said so does that mean that for example someone well, actually, it would be assisted. It would be assisted if you had cancer mm-hmm. and opted to not get chemo, for example, mm-hmm. because the chemo would only extend your life by like a couple months. Mm-hmm. Is that assisted suicide, or is I mean, does that count as suicide? Because you're not actively no. killing yourself. You're passive. No, I don't suicide think, isn't. I think that's thing. a pa- potentially okay. Potentially and passive so, euthanasia. And so then, let's say instead, someone with extreme dementia, so they're not compass mente, also has the option, and you, as their guardian, choose to not. That give them chemo to extend their life by two months mm. or whatever because it'll be uncomfortable and confusing for them and they'll die very soon anyway that would be passive euthanasia passive euthanasia interesting yeah. well i mean all that said for the context of this episode when we're talking about euthanasia we're actually talking about active euthanasia like i said despite the fact that passive euthanasia technically fits within that definition as you could tell from from my tone most people kind of don't think of turning off life support as a form of euthanasia when they're talking about euthanasia that's not what they're talking about yeah i think most people have probably in mind the way that you'd uh, put down a pet which was the example you just gave right yeah that's probably how most people think of euthanasia but i think what we've highlighted there is there are some sort of nuances to the way that actually happens in real life Mm -hmm. i think a useful umbrella term that we've got on our notes is assisted death which kind of encompasses euthanasia active and passive and assisted suicide Mm -hmm. Uh, but generally like i'm saying we're, we're we're more focused on active euthanasia because i think that has i don't know there's the, the there's a sort of philosophical like nuance to that that's that's important that's what we're trying to drive at first things first where is it legal euthanasia is not as widely legalized as assisted suicide is worth clarifying but neither are really common active euthanasia is legal then in seven countries at least that was the case as of end of 2021 those include canada new zealand and the netherlands it's also legal in some states in australia but not nationwide that's interesting Interesting that it devolved the power to make that decision Mm. outside of a federal context. In a great deal of these countries, the law is that a doctor may prescribe fatal drugs at the request of a patient. So that's assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. Uh, This often must be requested several times, including in writing, before the prescription is able to be gained. And they must also be assessed to be of sound mind. In these instances, then, the patient is often the one that takes them. But crucially, a doctor can administer this medication should the patient not be able to take them, like physically be incapable of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interestingly, and perhaps contrary to popular belief, euthanasia is not legal in Switzerland. Whoa. Assisted suicide is, though, Mm -hmm. uh, and has been since 1942. Yeah, the Uh, famous example is Dignitas. So, controversial question slash statement. I mean, isn't it funny that assisted suicide is legal considering you could just commit regular suicide? Is there mm. like is there like a good legal reason to consider them differently or something? Like I would have assumed if assisted suicide is legal, suicide is as well, right? Well, I mean, not that you no no one can stop you committing suicide, right? <laughs> How do we punish them? Yeah, I guess I guess maybe it's just the pleasantness of the experience. But I mean, like, yeah, couldn't any? I say this, it's obviously like much easier to go to a center and have it done. But couldn't anyone just actually? Where would you buy heroin? Mm-hmm. Not everyone mm-hmm. has access to a drug dealer who sells heroin. But I mean, like, I guess it's about the method of suicide. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so the, fact that the fact that it's assisted, I, I think, as you say, it's for like comfort mm-hmm. and ease and everything. 
Okay. So, famous one you said was Dignitas. Yeah. The famous example that I think a lot of people are familiar with is Dignitas. And this is one of eight assisted suicide clinics in Switzerland. And it requires that a person at least be able to perform the final act, which is the taking of sodium pentobarbital. This is either by swallowing it or self-administering it via gastric tube or opening a valve of intravenous access tube. So it's not hmm. a big physical act, but you no, have yeah, to be yeah. the one to like... But you have to be the one to do it. Yeah. Well, question how do they select the appropriate drug because surely there's a lot of drugs that can kill you like how do they how do they decide which is the qualitatively mm. most I, I, enjoyable or least negative death experience should it be an enjoyable death experience or is that a perverse incentive to include <laughs> i don't know it's what the times are <laughs> just like a morphine overdose um yeah like, why, yeah, why don't why don't they do a morphine overdose? I, well, to be fair, is it, I don't is know it that's a bad way to die? Or I don't know. Yeah, I yeah suppose heroin, heroin overdose fatal. is clearly a way to die. Yeah, but maybe I don't know. I don't know what what part of that kills you. I think I think the, it's the heroin. <laughs> no, I saying I don't know what the bodily function is that um uh, that you die of. Like I, I don't know if that's like if, if it triggers like you know you can't breathe or something that's like an unpleasant aspect. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's not a nice way to go. You know? Yeah, I presume they've picked something that's like yeah the least, the least mm. suffering in your. Your okay. final minutes. So really the difference Probably here, quite quick as well. I yeah, think it yeah. takes like less than 10 minutes, right? No idea. So we mentioned that they have to take the final act, but I believe that generally in the countries where euthanasia is illegal, there's more assisted suicide than euthanasia, but in the right circumstances, someone else can still be permitted to administer it. Mm-hmm. The restriction on who is permitted to receive the medication does vary hugely from country to country. So for example, in New Zealand, the law allows for terminally ill people who have only six months to live to choose to die. I.e. not anyone can be like, okay, mm. I want to I wanna, mm. wanna die. You have to like meet certain criteria and it has to be approved by two doctors in New Zealand. Very differently, in Canada, the law has been widened to those who do not even have to be dying, but instead suffer from an incurable disease, disability, or illness. I suppose there's still the term incurable there. Isn't mm. there? So, But I mean, incurable disease, disability, or illness. From a loophole perspective, you know, say you wanted to die and you wanted to die through this method, could you find some that labels that that applies to you like how severe does it need to be mm. um, and then secondly like i think the most relevant one is like that most people were kind of immediately thinking is what happens if we you know if we destigmatize this and normalize this what happens if people who are not near death start mm. to and and maybe you know okay say, take for example a mental illness yeah that's what S- i was thinking severe too. severe depression mm-hmm. like are you able to opt for assisted suicide if you have severe depression Mm. So, I mean, in this case, we've got the Canadian example. It would have to be an incurable disease, disability, or illness. I, I well, don't know. Does, I don't. does mental illness, mental disease not count? Does it count as illness and does it count as something incurable? Mm. Well, interesting. Similar laws are in effect in Belgium, which is lauded as having the most liberal right to die, quote unquote, which even allows for some children to request euthanasia with no age limit. Wow. The Netherlands also allows for children to request euthanasia and originally had an age limit of 12. But has plans to change this to allow for euthanasia for terminally ill children between 1 and 12. Wow. So, I mean, the question to discuss there is, should children also be afforded this right? It's, it's funny because we don't generally give kids a lot of legal rights. Like they can't vote. Generally, they have to have like guardians or parents mm. make decisions on their behalf. So how does, uh, how, do, how does that make you feel? Uncomfortable. I feel like it should probably be, I don't know if, it's, if there is a legal requirement, maybe it's both. I feel like it should be kind of a, a conjunction of the child and the guardian. Mm-hmm. However, you could think of perverse incentive, not perverse incentive, but like an inability of, say, a guardian to think on the child's behalf. Because mm-hmm. say the child is, is suffering horribly, but obviously as a parent, like you don't want to let go. I mean, I've seen several cases in, um, I think there's a big one in the UK at the moment where like a child, you know, they came home, the child was unconscious, um, fairly sure, sh- they 
suspect the child had like partaken some online challenge mm -hmm. um and basically was in the hospital brain dead mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the mother was just like no no he's not he's not like uh, i believe he's responsive or whatever and basically they recently won the right to take it to a high court but several doctors had said this child is brain dead like yeah, it was a case it. of passive euthanasia like they shouldn't have the life support they shouldn't have right? life support yeah yeah so not a perfect analogy but you understand my point where like sometimes perhaps a parent's love for their child might get in the way of understanding that either like two or three people who spent decades studying the biological function of humans have told you that this person is brain dead mm -hmm. as in yeah their body hasn't started to deteriorate yet but they're gone your sheer love for them can put you in an extreme denial and you know then imagine you imagine you're vocalizing this with a child who can actually say i am really suffering i'm going to die soon anyway yeah. and like i may be 10 but i can still grab like understand that i'd rather die now in a way i control yeah die die with some measure of comfort rather than go through like yeah some kind of terminal agony yeah yeah i i mean on that level I suppose it doesn't seem there's any reason why you would deny that right to a child that you would to an adult. Like, yeah. I suppose when I typically think of euthanasia, I think of someone very old with yeah. terminal illness. And yeah. it's like, why put them through years of pain and potential mm. loneliness when it, you know, when they could just die with dignity with yeah. family and loved ones around them. Yeah. But then there's no reason why, you know, the children one, can't sort of the one, suffer well, as well. Right? You're, you're saying, again, these ones that we're discussing, though, they're really more assisted suicide. When mm -hmm. I think of euthanasia, actually, the, the example that I think of is extreme dementia. Mm -hmm. So it tends to affect someone very old, mm -hmm. tends to basically say, look, they're, they're, you know, if it's extreme enough that they're no longer mentally sound, like they're going to die soon anyway, mm -hmm. um, tends to be quite an explicit and clear example of, of loss of dignity. Mm -hmm. um, and a terrible experience for the family, a very exp expensive experience for the family. And one of those things that like actually for all concerned would probably just for all the reasons that people make about putting down, say, a pet that they care about, mm. uh, like the, they're suffering both physically and, uh, you know, in this case, like, you know, we say word dignity to be specific, you know, they would rather not have their family see them, you know, in a, in a totally bewildered and probably kind of a state where they may be kind of it could be as far as soiling themselves and, mm. and screaming nonsense or, or etc that's the example i really think of that's the third party making mm -hmm. the, both making the decision and doing it that's the example i think of where like is it so wrong to cut someone's life by six months a year in that mm -hmm. context and and honestly like for some people some people are very blessed to not have to worry about it but for a lot of people those six months to a year of treatment at a point where they are pretty much like gone anyway mm. it can be financially ruinous yeah i agree with that potentially you're in a situation where it's it's actually really difficult and you you know that all you're doing is prolonging rather than like there, there's not necessarily a hope of turning something around because they've got a condition that's only going to deteriorate mm -hmm. i guess i mean the key thing uh, and we did flag this in the definitions but it's about agency isn't it because i think i think morally uh and, and we will come back to this in, in this episode in future but i think morally it's an easier situation when it is assisted suicide because you've got someone who presuming they pass sort of certain capacity tests can say look this is my decision this is what i want i think euthanasia oh, yeah. be when it, it that's you know, exactly i mean agency is what makes what it driving yeah it, right? yeah exactly i mean assisted suicide is, is easy mm -hmm. it's it's someone making a choice then the question is okay under what circumstances can someone reasonably make the decision that they would like to commit suicide yeah so you would say a depressed 20 year old generally we would reject mm -hmm. that like their des desire to commit suicide is not like a uh we would generally reject that one Right. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that is the current status quo. Maybe yeah. we'll reach a point where people with severe mental illness um, saying that 
you know, we'll be like, well, fair enough, that's a right you have. But at the moment, we're not. That's mm-hmm. not the cultural zeitgeist. But yeah, it's it's much easier when someone is electing to yes. to do it, and you're like, yes, I can see that you're in a situation that's only going to get harder. Why, why, why deny you the right to alleviate your own suffering? Yeah, euthanasia is definitely much trickier when it's you. You have to make that decision on behalf of someone who, yeah. presumably at that point, is is lacking capacity. Well, Jacob, carry on. Tell us about Spain. Yeah. Okay. So the next uh, topic um, in terms of what is the current state of euthanasia worldwide? What is euthanasia tourism or suicide tourism? And hence, you mentioned Spain. In Spain, where euthanasia is not legal, but assisted suicide is, amongst other requirements, one is that you have to be a full Spanish citizen to take up this right, which means that what is known as suicide or euthanasia tourism is prohibited in Spain. So suicide tourism is, you, you probably recognize this from the Switzerland thing and the Dignitas stories. It's when a person travels to another country in order to access assisted suicide services or obtain lethal drugs in order to end their life because assisted suicide is illegal in the person's home country. Suicide tourism isn't possible in every place that has legalized assisted suicide or to euthanasia, not just in the way that it is blocked by the Spanish, i.e. the citizenship test, but also because there are some built-in conditions to some assisted suicide laws that maintain that the patient and doctor must have a close and long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you you can you can like manufacture that by just traveling somewhere. No, you can just turn up basically. It, it, it which you know is a logical sense check. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, when euthanasia was made legal in the Netherlands in two thousand two, uh, the first country to formally legalize it, such a clause was included in the law with the intention of preventing that sort of euthanasia tourism. However, in the UK, euthanasia is not legal. So in the UK, that means that an act of euthanasia is instead considered by the court to either be manslaughter or murder. And I think the same is true of assisted suicide, right? I believe so. Yeah. So there's a very there's a few famous cases actually that we can just discuss quickly. One is the case of Kay Gilderdale, and she was prosecuted in 2010 for attempting to kill her daughter. Her daughter had ME, chronic fatigue. Um, she was called Lynn. Um, she was living what she herself described as an unimaginably wretched life, and having tried to kill herself with an overdose of morphine, begged her mother to help her die, and. Basically, she tried to kill herself. It hadn't worked out. Her mom ended up sort of helping her. It was all a bit sort of painful. Process took a while. But Lynn eventually died. And it was unclear, uh, I suppose what the jury discussed is unclear whether she died from self-administered morphine or from additional drugs that her mother gave to her. It ran through the court. Kay pleaded guilty to assisted suicide, was deemed not guilty of murder. Therefore, under the Suicide Act, the judge was not forced to give a mandatory sentence. So actually... She sort of got off okay. She didn't end up in prison. She just, yeah, she was just like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but not everyone manages to avoid imprisonment. So for example, Mm. Frances Inglis was convicted in 2010 of killing her own son with a lethal injection of heroin. Uh, Her son, having sustained head injuries when he was... I'm actually not sure how he sustained the head injuries. He obtained serious head injuries. Yeah, he obtained some some serious head injuries. Sorry, there's a a mistake in the notes. Uh, Decided according to her that he would not want to live anymore in a matter of weeks after the accident. The big difference there is that you can see in the previous example, again, it's a question of agency. Mm-hmm. So in the first one, there was agency. The person wanted to kill themselves anyway. It wasn't even clear whether they'd killed themselves with the heroin or mm-hmm. the drugs that the mother, mother later gave them. Whereas in this latter one, the mother decided on the son's behalf. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say without greater understanding of the context, it's hard to say whether that's reasonable or not, but decided on their behalf that they would have liked to have died. You're exactly right. Because I, I was reading about this case earlier. It is a mysterious one because on the, on the face of it, she's saying, look, it's an act of compassion. He's never going to recover. His life isn't like, you know, his life isn't worth living. I've taken this decision for him. And then I think actually it washed out in the case. Specifically, she said, it's what he would want. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas there was was no record, I think, no evidence of him saying, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. And then it washed out that she'd actually tried to kill him already once before. I don't know if that was post-injury or not. 
Oh, but there was yeah. The the, the jury Weird. was like unanimous, like no, this was murder. So okay, they were like yeah. You've basically you found yourself in a situation you don't want to sort of live with him and support this and yeah you, you, yeah. And yeah. unlike unlike K, the last case, Francis received a life sentence. Yeah. Uh, so in the UK, you can't even promote or facilitate someone else seeking assisted suicide. So the laws really are quite stringent. Um, there was an interesting case of Jackie Baker. She was diagnosed with motor neuron disease and basically wanted to go to Dignitas. It was very expensive. Her daughters organized a fundraising event and then the police saw <laughs> that's, that's such a... It does that's, seem really Honestly, right? that could be a, a peep show episode. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, do, do you want to give me money for my 10K? What's it for? To kill my mother. <laughs> well, to help her die would be the phrasing. But um, yeah, so the police actually said, look, you have to cancel this because otherwise you could be arrested for abetting suicide. And um, and yeah, I mean, in the UK, if you're even present with someone uh, who's committing suicide and choosing to die, you can risk up Ooh. to 14 years in prison, at least in theory. Mm. So, yeah, but like we said, the reason they were holding this event, not because they were sponsoring, their mother didn't choose to sponsor her death. Um, <laughs> it's just because traveling to access services like Dignitas, especially when you're in the state where you need those services, can be hugely expensive. Yeah, we actually got some notes on that here. So first off, one thing is you have to be a member of Dignitas um, in order to be able to use their services. Uh, that's not too expensive. That's an annual fee of 80 Swiss francs. But Surely you don't need to pay that many years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then additional costs are, yeah, they, they can- Around four and a half. Yeah, we've got about four and a half grand in the notes. I've actually seen higher prices as well when I was when I was looking into it. Um, and I guess you save money on getting a one-way ticket, but- <laughs> oh, That's it for a second. I was like, why one-way? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, accommodation, catering. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good reference there. Uh, moon landing, uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch. Yeah, he gets it. The catering. It it it's a, so anyway. Uh, it doesn't always need to be that expensive though. Classic Swiss, really, just milking it. Mm. Uh, it's estimated it costs a hundred euros in Belgium and the Netherlands. Uh, ten euros if you do it on the street. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's a bad heroin joke. Anyway, um, and that's you know the hundred euros though is separate to any travel costs and traveling to you know Holland and Belgium is quite expensive. Depends also if you have any uh, stroop waffle. Uh, before wording there. <laughs> I suppose we should just say we're not making uh, light for any reason other than it's an uncomfortable topic and humor yeah. is a good way of yeah. well, I mean, actually, <laughs> dealing okay. with discomfort. If you're going to listen to us talk to about it for two hours-ish across the three episodes, then ready or not, here comes some humor. Mm. Um, oh, you know what? Totally separate. I, I told a joke earlier. We met a friend, of a, a, friend a, a colleague, a partner at one of our hotel groups. Uh, and he's Scottish. I'm going to tell my Scottish joke. Oh, God, this is good. Uh, and I didn't realize he was Scottish. And I, was like, I have a great... He, and, and I realized he was Scottish when he used the word hoose, because uh, that's how Scottish people say house. They say, ooh, back in my hoose. Uh, uh, it actually sounds a little Canadian, doesn't it? Mm. Me hoose. Um, there's a great poem as well. Said the moosey till the pussy. You'll need get in me wee hoosey. Uh, said the mouse to the cat, you won't get in my house. Um, so anyway, A joke. Uh, By Anthony Collius. Uh, <laughs> a Scotsman uh, is in Canada. He's a great stay skiing or whatever, you know, whatever one does in Canada. Maybe he was hiking. Uh, and at the end of it, he goes to a bar. He goes to a bar and he's, he's sitting down at a nice wooden bar. He's having a pint of something Canadian. And he looks up and there's a, there's a moose head on the wall, right? And he's, mm. he's, from, he's from Glasgow. He's never seen one of these before. He, he's, he calls over the bartender. Oi, laddie, what's this on the wall over here? Um, and the Canadian very politely says, 
Uai. Did he? Wait, uh, <laughs> Did he say uai? Uh, uai. <laughs> uai. What, was, uh, what did Canadians say? Um, oh, hey. <laughs> fucking A. Oh, hey. Oh, hi. Oh, hey. Uh, I tell you what, that's a moose. Uh, Apologies for the Canadian accent. Yeah, that's a Canadian <laughs> That's a moose. And the Glaswegian goes, oh, my God. Yeah, that's a moose. How big are the cats? <laughs> uh, oh, nice. I wonder if that's going to sound as good recorded on a podcast as, as it was phenomenal in person, I promise you. Anyway. It worked well. The Scottish guy liked it. Oh, um, the Scottish He politely laughed. No, I think he actually laughed. I think he enjoyed it. Anyway, yep. back to euthanasia tourism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, like we said, it's 100 euros in Belgium and Netherlands. To avoid the trauma, uh, as in the case of Kay and Lynn, those two British examples we gave, this means that Britain's seeking euthanasia assisted suicide have to become suicide slash euthanasia tourists to basically if you are in the position where your family needs it don't do it here you got to go somewhere else so you become mm-hmm. these 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 death tourists yeah uh, and you'll have probably read lots of examples of this in the news of people actually doing this um, yeah. but it does raise a concern that dignity and dying sorry there's a campaign group called dignity and dying uh, and they're campaigning obviously for the legalization of euthanasia and assisted suicide and they say that failure to legalize means that britons have to travel abroad to die it's very expensive. It's stressful, and um, yeah, I mean, for the families involved, it can be yeah. can be prohibitively expensive. So one example of this was Bob Cole suffering from an aggressive form of lung cancer. Bob made Bob made a dying plea for the law to be changed in the UK after watching his wife go to Dignitas and becoming a big campaigner for legis- legislation in the UK. He argued that you should not have to travel in order to be able to choose when you want to die. Um, you then presumably have to be fit enough to make yeah, make the journey to make you know make that journey meaning that some people might make it sooner than they really want to yeah that's, that's actually an incentive funny, isn't it yeah like i want to go before and bedbound might be yeah the kind of thing you're saying basically mm. um and I, I mean i strongly believe with it uh, i agree with it i think the i really feel for that first example and like yeah you're like oh but she got off with it but think about the stress of years of court to argue yeah. about it like imagine you have a loved one who asks that of you mm-hmm. and your options are say no watch them suffer and make them resent you or do something risking something illegal. And to be fair, one thing that's not talked about is how many people just do it anyway and just make it look like normal suicide. Mm. And but then, then it just doesn't say, go in the stats. Even having to think about that is um, mm. is really, really unpleasant for those involved. And you'd have to, you know, you either have to cover something up or, or face the legal consequences. And that's like, that's stress in, additional, in addition to the emotional yeah. trauma you're already going through yeah. living this situation out. So, To be fair, on the flip side, um, taking that latter case you spoke about where there was evidence, I, I, I don't know enough about this, but you'd the mentioned there was evidence that she had tried to kill him maybe yeah. before the thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, so she'd actually made one previous attempt on his life, but I think this was post head injury so she tried oh, to right. and failed and then did it again. and then succeeded the second time oh um, that's not as horrible as you made it sound previously <laughs> you, you, you said i'm not sure if it was before I, i'm not 100 percent sure i okay, think that's the case well, okay well that seems I, more I reasonable i can see an argument that that legalizing it opens up a risky opens up risky gray areas mm-hmm. so what happens when a carer makes the decision like this is what they would want and other people don't agree with that assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens when someone makes that decision? Uh, to be fair, the law can just be a little more complex and require doctor approval and agreement mm. and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it opens some scope for potential abuse of the law. I could see that as well. That's definitely one of the big concerns and then definitely a theme we'll talk about next episode. Yeah. Um, even assisted suicide, it sort of makes you think like, you know, could people try and get away with murders and dress them up as assisted suicides? But um 
Well, Jake, our 10th anniversary is coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) I feel like that seems like one of those examples of um, a risk that's probably more fantastical because it's it's got an emotional hook to it. But actually, can you imagine that happening? I imagine there's very many more legitimate cases of assisted suicide being needed than than, than those. But it would make a good Agatha Christie. Some facts and figures. We talked a lot about the law and how many people, uh, how people can access these services. But how many people are actually choosing euthanasia or assisted suicide? So here are some quick numbers to hit you with. In the Netherlands, there were 6,585 cases of voluntary euthanasia or assisted suicide. That was in 2017, but that's like a, a, a an annual sort okay, of figure. So let's let's I mean let's put that in perspective. Call it 10,000. It, it rounds up from on a scale of zero to 10. Um, and what I suppose that Netherlands is a country with a population in the 10 to 20 million range. Mm-hmm. Seems reasonable. Uh, so it's I don't I can't be bothered doing the actual math, but it's something in the not point not. Yeah, less than one percent. Yeah, way 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 less than one percent. Um, but if you think about it, about the demographic, uh, by age, mm-hmm. it could be relatively high. It could be like w- 1% of over seventies or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, in Switzerland, the number of us, I, I, by the way, that's total, like just back in napkin math. I don't know. Don't, don't take it that 1% of Dutch people are <laughs> doing that. Uh, in Switzerland, the number of assisted suicide cases has risen by four times in just over a decade. With the majority of this being a Dignitas. Being with, at Dignitas. Oh, being at Dignitas with foreign residents. Yeah, that's, I guess, a stat that just highlights the growth <laughs> in this, right? In the, classic Swiss style, it's the Rolex of uh, <laughs> <laughs> assisted suicide. <laughs> Needlessly expensive. Here's a stat that I found a bit shocking. But every eight days, roughly every week, one Briton travels to Switzerland. I presume to end their life than those to say travels to Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> That's I've definitely been on a Swiss air flight and seen more than one in eight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it says uh, basically one person every week travels to Switzerland to end their lives. So 52 yeah. people a year um, being euthanasia tourists. Not massive on the scale of Britain's population, but yeah, meaningful. Yeah, I mean, 22,000 people have chosen to die this way in Belgium alone. I assume that that's in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rate increases every year. Uh, and as cases have become more frequent, so have concerns as to malpractice or failure to have lawfully helped someone to die. Mm. Yeah, so in 2018, in both the Netherlands and in Belgium, there have been cases of euthanasia where the doctors who were involved were charged with possibly breaching the laws. With growing rates of euthanasia and the inclusion of more people as eligible, like you're saying, does yeah, this I mean, open it started up the case? Out, started yeah. out with people who are extremely ill. Soon it's going to be people with bad fashion sense. <laughs> <laughs> we're really doing them a favor. They wanted an avocado bathroom set. Great Michelin web reference. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of this way. <laughs> it's kind of this way. But yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it does It does open up, um, yeah, Concern that there'll be instances of malpractice, um, potentially cases where the patients haven't even really given consent. Well, in the case blood. of euthanasia, they never do. Yeah. But yeah, in the case yeah. of assisted suicide. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, you, you know, what counts as a, a fair record of that consent? Exactly. Um, what do people change their minds? I mean, if it's doctor's notes, the doctor could write that note, right? And just mm-hmm. say that. They said. In the Belgian case, the doctors were acquitted. The case was that the doctors were alleged to have poisoned Tina and Nice. A 38-year-old without appropriate consent because she had not fulfilled the conditions set by Belgian law for euthanasia. And in the Netherlands, a doctor there was also acquitted of a similar charge. In that case, it was that proper consent from the patient with Alzheimer's had not yet been given. And the judge rules that the declaration written by the patient four years prior was appropriate. I agree with that. If I wrote, this is how I would like something to be handled, um, which, you know, I probably should do at some point. Um, You're not getting rid of me, 
Um, Ten years, still coming up. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier with the UK example, I could see cases where... Also, I mean, okay, not really a thing in Europe as much, but, you know, what happens... What happens when you throw in financial incentives? What happens when it's really expensive to keep someone alive? Mm. Euthanasia laws exist and they're kind of borderline. Mm. Suddenly there's a push one like, well, you know, give them the old Again, uh, the Agatha Christie stories kind of write themselves. I know, right? Um, finally, in the UK, there's been a little progress on making euthanasia or assisted suicide uh, legal. Uh, despite a poll conducted by YouGov in, two, in 2002 or it just it says 202 i I, I suppose that's 2002 showing that 76 percent of people supported the dignity and dying proposal despite this the house of commons and the house of lords rejected proposed bills on multiple occasions not tons of progress but tons of public support Mm. or a change in public perspective despite other countries being willing to legalize it in at least some way here in the uk there seems to be at least a lot of government opposition to potential reforms yeah one last note to bring in is um when you're talking about people making this decision it's irrelevant currently in the uk because like you say the laws haven't changed at all in spite of some popular sentiment in favor one of the things you'd have to pass is like a test of capacity so in order to like be approved to ha- like go through assisted suicide or, or potentially euthanasia or something you well, sign no, up I in mean, advance oh right 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 yeah you'd but, to, well, the euthanasia you'd have to sign up in advance otherwise yeah. otherwise the whole point is that you don't have agency yeah, yeah, capacity yeah. to qualify for having capacity is quite interesting there's a four four step test you have to basically understand the information so that would be you'll be killed in this way you have to be able to understand that remember it use it to weigh up the decision which in this case i guess is like fairly black and white and communicate it back to the doctor capacity is generally more relevant for like you know when you're discussing i'm gonna undertake this surgery but these are the risks pros and cons it's interesting capacity becomes an interesting question when you look at like suicide and then future commitment to euthanasia damn mm. cool well guys uh, that was the context episode that explained a lot about the difference between assisted suicide and euthanasia the uh, current state of it a mm-hmm. little bit about tourism a little bit about the legal history in the uk as well indeed what um, uh, i guess time for quick concluding remarks on this what do you make of the current state well i mean i, I respect different countries rights to have different approaches i don't know that i'm a big fan of the uk's like approach at the moment mm. i mentioned that there's potential for gray area but I think generally, like, there'll be enough people around kind of sense checking, like, and calling out people when they, when, mm. you know, if, if I thought a doctor unfairly terminated someone I loved, I'd pursue it. Yeah. That's a good, there's, a, there's a sense check. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it's a bit silly that people at the moment have to become death tourists and that it's also crazy that Dignitas makes so much money doing it. It's like mm. literally giving someone a death pill. That's it. Like, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it is a, um, it's a not-for-profit, but it's, yeah, it's still... It's it, a not-for-profit. It is, but it's still, it's still extremely expensive process to go through, isn't it? Uh, and I think if I remember correctly, they have like a split tier because they have a tier where you can go and kill yourself. And then there's a tier where they'll also organize like your funeral services and, and all everything else on top of it. But yeah. It, so Switzerland. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's funny. I, I mean, we'll definitely discuss this more in the pros and cons episode. And then when we weigh up the philosophical perspectives, I think my stance on it is I don't like the UK's approach just like i don't like how limited it is just because i think i think there's a lot to be said for being able to have some say in how you die at least in order to like prevent unnecessary suffering like if you reach a stage where things are fairly terminal and you'd rather not go through the sort of misery of what the illness is going to do to your body and you can 
choose a time where you can be with family and organize that. I think that seems like an extremely positive choice to be able to make at the end of your life. I think there'd be something extremely sad about one deteriorating, losing your mental function, losing your physical function. I think that would be an embarrassing process to go through. And then I think as well, it would be terribly sad if that happened at a time when you were, you know, what if you like die in pain in the middle of the night and you don't have your loved ones around you? You know, I, I, I that's that's uh, right now. That's my like feeling on it. But we'll dig more into this and, and, and see, see our opinions change. Cool, guys. We'll catch you in the next episode. We're going to go like we said we'll switch it up we're going to do philosophical arguments Mm. and then look at the final kind of pros and cons so speak soon